Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast in which two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On this episode, In the Red Corner, a serial killer with a penchant for putting tights on the top half of his face is on the loose and only one man can stop him from Michael Mann. It's 1986's Manhunter. Multiple trails. Just you and me now, sport. One hunter. While in the blue corner, have the lambs stopped screaming, Clarice? Well, answer that question and others because crack open the Chianti, it's 1991's Silence of the Lambs. A killer is on the loose. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clarice. With the darkest of all minds. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Clash Potters, I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And this week, as you just heard, we are doing Silence of the Lambs up against Manhunter. V, you mm. pick these movies. Hooray! Yeah. Yes, I pick these two films. Um, I pick Silence of the Lambs because it gives me the chance to talk about my two favourite things, which is murders and breastfeeding. <laughs> not really not really murders and feminism right is that better yeah that's much better um also i'm terrified of moths which i think you know terrified actually that's new information to me what yeah like to the point where my uh, brain scrambles and i get like that metallic fear taste in my mouth and a weight on my chest and i can't form a rational thought so i love clarice starling because she's a brave bitch where does that fear come from? well i've thought about it for this i think it comes from the silence of the lambs right mm-hmm before that, you were call, almost called the Moth Girl. Like you used to sort of wander around with a troop of performing yeah. moths. Yeah, and I then, loved moths. I let them crawl yeah. all over my face. Yeah. You'd often be found lying in a park surrounded by light bulbs and moths. And at then night. after this, I just, I just couldn't. I yeah. can't. Some of the scenes inside of the lambs, I can't watch because of the moths. Mm. I can't. I just can't. That's the power of cinema right there. It really is. Um, Manhunter, it, uh, I saw it about 15 years ago, but it didn't make much of an impact on me. So I wanted to go back and see it again. And I did feel very differently about it this time. Good. That's where I yeah. am. Turns out I love a troubled man. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the party. <laughs> is that why you're doing a podcast on me and Alex? <laughs> so genuinely, my history is I watched Silence of the Lambs years and years ago, loved it. And I remember having seen that going back to watch Manhunter and I got to the first scene of Hannibal Lecter played by Brian Cox and turned it off 
I literally <laughs> couldn't handle the fact that it wasn't Anthony Hopkins playing that role. The movie lost me in one moment. So actually, I'd only seen to that point. So this was a first viewing for me. Wow, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I guess my history is I was weirdly young when I got into serial killers. <laughs> um, and I think it was off the back of Manhunter. I, I was trying to figure out the timeline because Manhunter was made in 86. But I read about it in Empire magazine and then immediately read Red Dragon. And that would have made me eight years old when I read Red Dragon, <laughs> which can't be possible. But then I think it didn't come out in England for three years. It didn't come out till 1989 in England. Okay. By that point, I was 11, probably 12 by the time it came out on video. So that was when I read Red Dragon, which is a bit less weird. Okay. So I read uh, Red Dragon and Science of the Lambs. Um, I figured out the date I saw Manhunter. Okay, go on. August 10th, 1991, because it was on Movie Drome. Do you remember Movie Drome with Alex Cox presenting films on a Saturday night? Yeah. Do you know why I love that so much? Two of the greatest movies back to back I watched on that, uh, still to date, my favourite double bill of films ever, Alligator and Cue the Winged Serpent. <laughs> It was incredible. Could that be coming up on a future show? It is now. <laughs> I've just made that executive decision, like Kurt Russell in the movie, executive decision. <laughs> That's a great double bill. Did you see the films? Bef- have you read the books? I've read Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. yeah. How about you? Have you done the books? Nope. Okay. I've read the books, but not for a long time. Yeah. So I was trying to piece together interesting stuff they left out and what they kept in. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm. Well done. Oh. <laughs> I'm even more excited about the journey we're going on together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So Manhunter was released, as Chris just said, in 1989 in the UK, but it was released first, which means we start with Manhunter. V, you gave that to Chris. Chris, take us away. In this unconventional romance, <laughs> boy meets girl, boy encourages girl to stroke sleeping tiger, boy makes love to girl. Boy tries to kill girl with bits of broken mirror. <laughs> then finally, boy gets shot in chest. Intruder entered through kitchen sliding door. Nationwide victims. Yeah, this is Will Graham of the FBI. One killer. This is what the subject's teeth look like. Manhunter. Yeah, Manhunter. AKA Red Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Dino De Laurentiis changed its name from Red Dragon because Michael Cimino, he'd released a movie called The Year of the Dragon uh, that year and it had flopped and so they wanted to distance himself from it. So they called it Manhunter, a name that I don't believe Michael Mann was a huge fan of. No, um, it, on the on the commentary he says that uh, it was because um, people he was worried people would think it was Hong Kong Chop Socky is what he called it. Right. Um, and he didn't really like it and Brian Cox thinks it's terrible. Yeah. He says it's cheesy and it should have been a Red Dragon. But actually, when you think about what they did in the film, they really pulled back on the dragon stuff. Hmm? So we're talking about a serial killer, Francis Dollarhide, who um, believes he's turning into a dragon, a godlike dragon. Hmm. And he has it in the book. He has a tattoo all over his body of a dragon. In the film, they shot scenes with him in with that tattoo. And Michael Mann said he thought it looked silly and trivialised his issues and therefore reshot all those scenes without the tattoo. So I think you lose a lot from the book just by pulling back on that. So yeah, the plot sort of in a nutshell is uh, Francis Dollarhide is a serial killer who breaks into homes and murders families. He's based on a real person. Do you want to know who he's based on? Hmm. You don't. Yeah, I have questions. Oh. No, I have questions about this because... Why? Go ahead. Go Did ahead. you do the killing? <laughs> no. <laughs> he's based on, well, he's supposed to be based on Dennis Rader, who was called the BTK person, because he's called BTK for buy and torture kill. And he's like, your real life worst nightmare. He would hide in people's houses 
and wait for them to come home and then Isn't kill he the guy who's in Mindhunter? You know the show Mindhunter? At the start of every episode, it shows him going about his business. Have you not watched yeah. Mindhunter? I haven't watched Mindhunter. Yeah. How I've are you heard, into all this and you haven't watched Mindhunter? Because I've got a limit as to how much of it I can... Yeah, do you want to know how the BTK killer was caught? Because it is quite a funny story, actually. <laughs> I'm up for it. So he wasn't caught at the time. So apparently at the time that Red Dragon was being written, BTK was like on the loose. Um, so that's in the 80s. And then in 2004, as a cold case, the police like reached out to the killer through the newspapers. And someone got in touch to say to the police, you know floppy disks? Can you get any information off floppy disks like, about the person that's made them? And they were like, no. So we went, oh, OK, I'll send you a floppy disk. And they went, ha ha, lying. <laughs> and then they found out that a person called Dennis had made the floppy disk. There was a connection to the Lutheran church. So they Googled Dennis, the area where they lived, the church, and then they found him. And that was it. He was caught. It's about time the internet gave something back. That's the thing, and then he was caught. So if that is who Francis Dollarhide is based on, once Michael Mann got hold of it, he there was a killer that he'd met called Dennis Wayne Wallace. Yeah. And he wanted to make a film about him. And so that's why we've got a kind of an amalgamation of the characters and it's not really true to the book. Mm. I couldn't find much information about this Dennis Wayne Wallace on yeah. the internet. Do you know when I stopped when you couldn't click on his name on Wikipedia? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's the level of research yeah. I'm doing. Doesn't so, exist. So all my information comes from Michael Mann talking about him on uh, the commentary. He was a strange man, this this killer. <laughs> no <Really>? shit. <laughs> As <laughs> opposed to the nice, normal serial killer. <laughs> he used to wear a hat that said, uh, support mental illness or I'll kill you. He he had a tattoo of Dennis the Menace on his arm and he drove around in a hearse. I know some people with some bad tattoos, I don't, <laughs> including me. <laughs> now, I have a question. Is he the same guy who Michael Mann spoke to and part of the conversation was that he was obsessed with a woman who he didn't know mm -hmm. and he believed that a song mm. was their song and that song was Iron Butterflies in a Gutta de Vida and that's why that is in the film. Yeah, he, uh, he, she was part of a biker gang, I think, and he saw her like for 45 minutes and believed that they were meant to be together and, and the people he murdered were members of this biker gang, according to Michael Mann, but... I don't know. I can't find this guy online. So the FBI is having trouble uh, tracking down this serial killer who they've nicknamed uh, the Tooth Fairy. He doesn't like that. He's, he's not, not a fan. He's not a fan of that. But I have sympathy with Because he's the him. red bloody dragon. Right. Yeah. If you go to all the effort to go, I want to be known as the red dragon, and someone goes, yeah, you're the Tooth Fairy. It's like the Reservoir Dogs thing. No one wants to be Mr. Pink. Yeah. So they're having trouble tracking him down. So at the start of the film, Jack Crawford from the FBI goes and meets Will Graham. And uh, is he a detective? Who? The guy, Jack Will, Crawford. Will Graham. No, Will Graham's a criminal profiler. Criminal profiler. And he has quit the force because of what happened when he caught Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. What's unusual is normally when you have that cop brought back in for one last case, normally they're a drunk, holed up in a house like with no family or anything like that. You think Bruce Willis <laughs> in Die Hard with a Vengeance, and they're like, sober up, come on, we need you. And in this, he's like, loving it. He's having a great time building... Fences to protect turtle hatchlings. Oh, I love the symbolism. just thought it was, oh, beautiful. He's got such a fantastic house. I'm so jealous of that house. So what does his wife do, do we think? Because a criminal profiler does not get a house on a beach like that. And they do, neither of them seem to work anymore, do they? No. no. They make love in blue brooms. They do, beautifully. <laughs> the most 80s sex scene I think I've seen for a long time. I was transfixed. Yeah. <laughs> I was so jealous. I really like Molly, the character of Molly. She's very yep. tolerant. 
She's very tolerant, but also a little bit naive at some points, <laughs> I think. We'll she, she's, a, she's, she's in a lot more scenes in the director's cut. Did you guys see the director's cut? That was a question I was going to ask, actually, because there's, there's a bunch of versions of this film, and it seems like a few of them have now been taken out of circulation, and you can only see this one version. I bought a DVD with a special book in it. Ooh, yeah, nice. I, I was going to bring it for you. I don't think I have. It's really good, the book. Ooh. Yeah, it's it, called Michael Mann's Head Games. It's cool. <laughs> I, do we have... Look, some, look at his face. He's <laughs> like, he's really there's excited. something I don't have or know oh, about. Shit. Do you not know about... Oh, brilliant. Do we have Let's exciting talk about info from the book? my research this week. You just, honestly, take a day off. <laughs> You'll be fine. Um, so do you think you guys saw the director's cut? How I would don't I know? know? How would I know? So, well, my has Blu-ray. it got a massively different ending? Yeah. No, it's just got lots of scenes all the way through. He says it's his preferred version with the benefit of hindsight. So it's not scenes that he was made to take out, but having sort of given it a few years, he wanted to put these scenes back in. Yeah, because he had free reign on the final cut. Yeah. Uh, like there was no, exactly. no pressure on him. So 100%. He just chose to go back and re-edit it. They don't bring a lot. To, there's one scene actually that, at the end that does change things a little bit, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. So Will Graham, I went, oh, I've heard that name before. And that's because I actually watched the Hannibal TV show. Have you ever watched the Hannibal no. TV show? It's the only TV show I've ever turned off because it scared me too much. <laughs> it's, it's very frightening. Re- it's really good. Have you seen it though? I have seen the whole thing. The yeah. one, so I stopped after the episode where there's something under the bed and the woman gets dragged under the bed and it's that weird woman. And then like she just gets grabbed by the feet and then an arc of blood just sprays out from under the bed. And I was like, fuck this shit, I'm going home. (laughs) But did did the show not make you hungry though? You haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, but so I understand the concept. They would have they would have long sequences of him cooking yeah. lovely food, but there'd be human ingredients mm. in there. Sure, but they made it look tasty. <laughs> Based on the films, his cannibalism seems to be sort of biting cheeks off and things like that, and, yeah. and uh, faces off rather yeah. than having a nice dinner. Cordon Bleu dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason they brought Will Graham in is because he's extremely sensitive and he can put himself in the shoes of the killer. Um, he can imagine their fantasies and figure out their motives and even try and predict their plans. Some of which seems a bit out there, I think, the idea that he can sort of see their dreams. I think you just don't see proof of it in him. That's a that's one of its problems. Like you're mm. supposed to be seeing a man on the edge between it's like his ability has driven him to this uh, to madness before, but you don't ever see any of that. I will say this. I didn't really know Kevin Peterson. Didn't know who he was, not what? really seen him in anything. What about his brother, William Peterson? Yeah. Is that his name? He's not, yeah. the, not the cricketer. <laughs> oh, right, right. The actor. That's why when I Googled him, I was like, oh, he's had a great he's career a after movies. <laughs> he went, so he's a movie star and a world-class cricket he's player. He's a South African accent. <laughs> yeah, William Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't really know him because I never watched CSI because he was the main guy on CSI for like a decade. Mm, Gil Grissom. Yeah, I, I went through a period of watching all the CSIs in about three months when I first got Netflix and you sent off for the discs. That was the first time I ever binge watched anything. Mm. And it is very similar. You can see that this inspired the police procedurals we see now. It's so similar. And to be honest, even his character is quite similar. Literally, I think Danny Cannon just saw what he, he did in this film and just transplanted it here. I know that it's not one of the performances in the movie that's regarded as like shit hot. I think he's brilliant. I think he's really good. Really, really liked his performance in this. And again, we were talking about The Fog recently and how one of the best scenes in that is a person reading. In this, yeah. when he's reading through the police notes and he's walked into the crime scene, first yeah. of all, now that's a crime scene. <laughs> that's an incredible crime scene. But him reading those notes, I was like, 
oh, this is so dark. The bit where he's talking about how the father had his throat cut. Because <gasps> uh, he went after the children. <laughs> yeah, oh. he was like, he was like, what does he say? He says something like, bloodstains on the wall suggest arterial spray. Even with his throat cut, he tried to fight because the killer was heading to the children's room. Oh, that, oh that's bad. It makes you visualise it. Um, <laughs> he's got a good thinking face as well. You feel like the cogs are turning when, you, when he's thinking. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Cogs turning, Mm -hmm. thinking. He does have a very beautiful thinking face, but I just didn't get that next level of like, I'm very much uh, tortured by these thoughts and willingly so on. Can we talk about Dennis Farina as well? Of course we can. He's brilliant. I I spent a long time in this movie going, where is he from? Where do I know him from? Snatch is where I know him from. As Abby. Snatch, get shorty. He, he always seems to play characters at the end of their tether. That's what he's good at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's great in Snatch where he arrives back in the US and they go, anything to declare? And he goes, yeah, don't go to England. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the other, probably the other actor we should talk about before we get to the big one is, is um, Stephen Lang. Yes, I love Stephen Lang. Best known for being big and buff in Avatar. Yeah, I first saw him as the party crasher in The Hard Way, the Michael J. Fox, James right. Woods buddy cop comedy. So he plays a, a sleazy tabloid journalist and you buy him as that, don't He's you? He's having the time of his life. <laughs> he is a full-on creep. But they sort of come up with a plan together to, to bait uh, the Tooth Fairy. Mm. Um, it's a truly horrifying scene where he captures Stephen Lang and he's got him in his room and the Tooth Fairy standing there with some skin-coloured tights over the top half of his face and it's Stephen so Lang scary. is like, is like, no, must look away, tights. <laughs> well, that's the first time you see Francis Dollarhide, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, Tom Noonan playing Francis Dollarhide. Are the tights a fetish thing, though, or is it that he genuinely thinks he would be unrecognisable? <laughs> like, I just, I assumed it was a fetish thing, so it's like, you still look just exactly well, he like knows he's, he knows he's going to kill him, so... Because yeah. he's on fire, pushed down a ramp in a multi-storey car park. Those places are scary at the best of times. They are. <laughs> and when you're on fire, strapped into a wheelchair, having had your face slashed open... They're even scarier. Well, bitten open. Bitten That's open. the worst. Well, bit I think for, no, I don't know if you got this from the film, but what I vaguely remember from the book is he bites his lips off. No, did you oh, get that? No. But it, but also, I thought I'd seen that in the film, and it cut away. Maybe I'm getting confused with Red Dragon, but it definitely cuts away. You hear the screams, and it cuts away, which I think it does a, quite a lot in in both these films today. A lot of cutaways of things I thought I'd seen. Oh, what the age old like? Oh yeah, you see Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box in Seven, and you never do. But people are so. Do you not? See, exactly, yeah. You never see her head in the box, but because it's such a powerful like moment, you do believe you've seen her head in a box. Has it been spoofed? With a, I'm sure, because I, I remember even thinking, that looks like a, a wax head in a box. You're thinking of the Lonely Island video, Dick in a Box. Sorry. <laughs> God, I am as well. No, I'm not. <laughs> it was Justin Timberlake. I put my dick in a box. <laughs> No, go on. I'll show you it in the pub afterwards. It's great. It's really good. Yeah. So uh, when we meet Francis Dollarhide, he sort of during the film, he slightly softens potentially because he meets a woman at his work, Rebba, played by uh, Joan Allen. Mm. Who yeah. he, he seems to or believes that he's falling in love with her. Mm-hmm. She is a blind woman, so she can't see his um, facial this figurement. This is where part of his um, issues have come from is by thinking that women hate the way he looks Mm. and therefore he hates the way he looks. Yeah, I will say, uh, she surprised me with some of her decision-making. Sure. When he goes, 
ride with me. Yeah. And she goes, no. no. He goes, ride mm-hmm. with me. And she goes, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm going to get the bus. He goes, ride with me because I want you to. That she goes, to do the trick. Yeah, she's like, yeah, all right. Why not? To add to that, he's like, let me take you somewhere. And it, who the answer is, absolutely fucking not <laughs> yeah. take me home or leave me alone. But yeah. she's like, yeah, sure, we'll go for a surprise trip. No big deal. Where, where does he take her though, Vicky? It's, I don't know how it happens, but he <laughs> takes her to a large animal veterinary surgery of yeah. some sort where a tiger is going to have a dental procedure and the tiger is therefore asleep. And it, I was moved by it. I do think it's a really like rich moment and she's never seen a tiger because she's blind. So she can see with her hands and so she gets to cuddle a tiger. Yeah. So that's a good first date. Which, I would say so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it goes downhill from there. Well, I, Not I, immediately. Yeah, and how do you top that, though, for the second date? I mean, I guess he tried to kill her tries pretty much on the second date. Put mirrors in her eyes. But, but Tiger is such a high bar to yeah. set for yourself. Yeah. But he's a monster. He believes himself to be a monster and falls in love with a blind woman. Isn't that the Fantastic Four? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? The, the, th- the thing falls in love with a blind oh, woman. Oh, yes! Yeah. Yeah. Michael Chiklis! Yeah, yeah. Wow, I forgot well, about that. Well, not Chiklis in this uh, instance. Good one! There we are. <laughs> I like that. That was good, that was yeah, strong. that's right. Yeah. Good laugh. I, I was sort of more, it was more admiration that oh, passed okay. over my face. And admiring silence. I realised on a podcast no one can see me go, oh, yeah. so <laughs> next time I'll laugh. Um... All right, let's get on to the big one. So uh, Will Graham, as part of his investigation, uh, it's, it's decided that he'll go and meet with Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the man who tried to kill him and sent him over the edge. Mm. He is played by Brian Cox. Brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. And scarier. Far, yeah. far scarier I than agree. Anthony Hopkins' version. Do you know who he based his performance on? Brian Cox. I've seen a couple of things. The thing I read in Head Games... Mm. Uh, that Chris hasn't read, yes. um, is that Brian Cox based his portrayal of Hannibal Lecter on his own son. <laughs> you know, imagine that. Oh, my God. So his son was about 15 at the time, and Michael Mann said to him, the reason I've hired you as a British actor is you need to bring a sense of like imperiousness to this role. So mm. Hannibal Lecter takes his ego with him wherever he is. So when the prison warden brings him the phone... He says, thank you very much. I'll tell you when I'm done. And so he's reversing their situation in that he's being served, even though he's in prison. And he thought, Brian Cox said, you know, he was raised in Dundee, I think like quite a rough life. But obviously by the time he had kids, he was doing very well. So his son went to a British private school. So he channeled his son's attitude to bring to the part of Hannibal Lecter of like uh, treating people with disdain. Yeah. Basically. That's what his son learned at British private school. Well, obviously. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. You, you're failing to make a very exciting connection here. Oh, what is it? You've talked about uh, his son before on this podcast. Oh, wait, that's... um. No, I forgot. Alex Cox is oh, his name. Oh, the thingy! In the, in the Sherlock thing. Yeah, he's yeah. Watson in Sherlock, young Sherlock Holmes. Oh, my God! So Hannibal Lecter is based on that kid because it's also... That was the, that was the year before, so he would have been around that age. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Well, I wasn't even on that episode and I figured that out. I'm glad yeah, you, I... You do a lot of legwork, to be fair to you. Glad I didn't know that when I was watching young Sherlock Holmes. No. That would have ruined it. <laughs> He's kind of northern though in this, isn't he? His Hannibal Lecter. He's a, there's a northern a twang. Bit, yeah. He keeps sort of. I couldn't really is place there? his accent. Yeah, there is a moment. I where feel like it's a Scottish man doing a slightly posh English accent. No, because when he asked for the file, he's like, "Let me have file." And I'll tell. <laughs> not. You did this last week. Your no, impression. He, he was like, "Let me let me have file. I'll tell thee when I'm done." That's not yeah. an impression. That's what he yeah. really sounds. Like. <laughs> yeah. Do you dream much, Will? <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Um, what did you think of him as as Hannibal Lecter? 
Um, I'm only able to do it in comparison to Anthony Hopkins. And Brian Cox himself said, although I don't believe, I believe this quote is true because I read it in head games that you haven't read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Cox said, I haven't seen Tony's version, but I believe it's very, very over the top. And it's like, of course you've seen it. And that's just such a mean <laughs> thing to say. So I can only do Sorry, it. Sorry, Brian Cox said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, really? I haven't seen Tony's version. I believe it's very, very over the top. <laughs> the, the interviews I've <laughs> seen. Meow. The interviews I've seen with him, all he said, he hasn't said anything negative. All he said, I would like, I would have liked the money that Anthony Hopkins got <laughs> oh, for, right, for, for, yeah. for doing this. But then apparently he, he was offered the part in Silence of the Lambs and he turned it down because he says he didn't do sequels. So I don't shit. think that... I've, I've never heard that. Is that true? I read it in... Head, head Games. Head, <laughs> head Games. The book, the book that exists but Vicky forgot to bring today. <laughs> this is all made up. This is all bullshit. It's a free book as well. <laughs> so um, Brian Den- Dennehy, who I spoke to you about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, you know that guy yeah. now. So I Cocoon, know, the main guy in Cocoon. The main guy in Cocoon who pulls yeah, down yeah, his yeah, eyelid. Exactly. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he really desperately wanted uh, the role of Hannibal Lecter in his good friends with... Um, Michael Mann mm. and um, but being such a good friend he said to him actually there's this other actor you should see who I think will be better than me what a nice chap that's that, a lovely that was Brian Cox yeah and he looks after his race of aliens really well <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that you see Brian Cox in his socks at some point during the film I just thought that I did another layer <laughs> do you know what you ever, did you ever see like the Cameron Crowe movie Elizabeth Town I have seen it okay yes. you remember the bit where Kirsten Dunst and Orlando Bloom have that really long phone conversation yes. for ages. The way that Will Graham yeah, and yeah. Helen Valector talk to each other, it's like one's in an armchair with his legs yeah. swing over the side, the other's got his feet up against the wall. I'm like, it's like a late night booty call. Well, it really is. They look like a couple. Yep. Or at least friends. And that was on purpose. And a man says that he loves doing, he says directors, other directors don't like doing scenes where the actors aren't in the same place. He said, I love it because they can be doing whatever they want to be doing the other end of the phone. So you can have real fun with their physicality and their expressions and things, which you can't when they're in the same space. Mm. Apparently Tom Noonan, who plays Francis Dollarhide, obviously, he refused to meet any of the other cast um, because he wanted to create this air of terror about him and he walked around the set spying on them <laughs> and being a real creep and no one got to meet him. Will Graham didn't meet him until he crashes through the window at the end, <laughs> which is also That's the worst same. plan Ever. It's such, so badly thought out and he crashes through this window and then he immediately gets floored. It's like, yeah. what, what did you think would yeah. happen? It's like, and it's a massive glass window. Yeah. So like literally, the Tooth Fairy can see him coming for ages. <laughs> that that felt like the most, because obviously Michael Mann created Miami Vice, that felt like the most Miami Vice moment in the film. Him jumping through the window and that weird staccato like way that they film the shootout, which mm. is yeah. all cameras running at different speeds, which I don't know. I think when I, when I first watched it, I was having to, check the tracking on my video because it does look very odd. Yeah, they. I didn't like the shootout and apparently it was rushed as well because he'd run out of time because he's so meticulous. He'd used up all his time and most of the crew had left at that point. So he had a skeleton crew to work with, which is why it's the worst part of the film for me. Mm. But it's all to that. So- it's quite effective being played out to that song that you mentioned earlier. So we need to talk about the music in this because half this movie... I genuinely feel is ruined by the soundtrack and the other half mm. it's the most wonderful yeah. soundtrack ever. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I just it's it's just so it's just so 80s that it's distracting. Well, when it's mm. so, oh, I I feel like when it sounds like Blade Runner, yeah. I love it. And then when it's quite intrusive pop songs. Yep. Um and I I feel like this is true because I've seen it so many times now. I feel like the, the some of the dialogue isn't recorded terribly well. And I was yeah. finding it hard to hear what they're saying. Mm. I just feel like the, 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 the music is too loud sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
There's a scene on a plane in this movie. Oh, yeah, that's a good scene. Where Will Graham falls asleep mm. and his briefcase falls open. and It doesn't fall open. It does, because all the pictures of the murders are... Oh, God, do you know what I thought that was? I thought that was the only time that we saw for ourselves that he is the same as Hannibal Lecter in that he didn't regard the content of the pictures to be that serious. So he falls asleep without thinking, I should cover those up because there's a little girl next to me. No. So they're, it, spread on his ta- they're spread on the table. No, 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 no. They're not spread on the table. He's Because you see him pin two pictures of yeah. the families up that aren't in any way grotesque. Oh, really? And then he's fallen asleep and then he wakes up to the child screaming yeah. because his briefcase has fallen Open. Well, that's now, that's annoying because I was like, Michael Mann, like, if you're listening, which definitely are, that my idea is so much better. <laughs> no, is. no, but I had a question for you because obviously, like, the mother of the kid is like, oh my god, oh, get, she get her out mental. of it. You have kids, mm. but you also love murder. I do. Mm. How would you react in that situation if that was your kid? <laughs> Swap seats with the kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop whining <laughs> for one goddamn minute. Don't, don't spook him. He's yeah. my new favourite person yeah. on this plane. Stop spilling my gin. What is wrong with you? <laughs> so, can I get some of those pictures? <laughs> do you need all of them? Yeah, what are you working on? <laughs> That's a good one. And by, by, by good, I mean useful in your job. Yeah, all of that one. Yeah. Would you like to know some things that aren't in the film? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's no spaceship battle. Uh, <laughs> it's not a dragon. No, oh, there is a dragon. Yeah, there is actually a dragon. That was what a rubbish one to pick second. <laughs> no, I literally did, my, that, I did myself in. But that helps me, speaking of a dragon. So in the book Red Dragon, Francis Dollarhide is so obsessed with this William Blake painting, The Great Red Dragon and the Woman Clothed in Sun. And that's where all of this comes from, his obsession with that painting. He breaks into the Brooklyn Museum and eats the painting. <laughs> oh, yes. I Sorry. remember reading about that. That would have been a hell of a scene in Does the movie. It? Expensive, though, I feel. <laughs> but the, the one big change that I think is to the detriment of this film is that Hannibal Lecter tells Francis Dollarhide where Will Graham's family is living. Yeah. And his family are taken to safety. Yeah. Now, in the book, um, Francis Dollarhide fakes his own death at the end, this sequence at the end. He doesn't actually die fakes it, makes his way to Will Graham's house and attacks the family, right. uh, cuts Will Graham in the face, so he ends up with the same in- injuries, but right. it's from the fight that they have, and Molly, the wife, shoots him dead. Cool. Which, it, it's weird the way that Hannibal Lecter just disappears from this movie, having been built up, having had two or three really memorable scenes, there's no real payoff or but end to his story. Didn't Michael Mann, wasn't it his point that he wanted to leave people wanting more? He actually resisted the urge to put more Hannibal Lecter in. I, I 100% agree with that, but I think you also need closure as well. The character's just kind of... He's, that phone call's the last conversation he has with him, and it doesn't really go anywhere. So I just I felt like that was a mistake. In the book, is there any clarity to the following question which I have for you? So when he's torturing Stephen Lang and you meet Francis Dollarhide, the tooth fairy, for the first time, is that shirt he's wearing covered in giant teeth? Because <laughs> it looks like it is in the movie, and I was wondering if he'd sort of finally accepted the idea of being the tooth fairy and had made a costume. What he do, I mean, he's just put in some big fake teeth yeah. as well, hasn't he? Yeah. I think he's against the name rather than the concept. Right, right, okay. Well, that's fine then. I just thought it was a really, really cool shirt and I was like, giant teeth, nice, nice touch, Michael Mann. Um, other weird bits of trivia? <laughs> Will Graham said that after the role to distance himself, I'm um, sorry. William uh, Peterson. William Peterson, Kevin Peterson's brother. Um, <laughs> he said to distance himself from the role of Will Graham, 
he uh, he bleached his hair and he shaved off his beard. I'd say calling that a beard is optimistic. That's fair. That is not a beard. <laughs> this is a bit of stubble. All right. Yep. My trivia. Yeah. Different to yours. Sort of different tonally, but <laughs> still counts as trivia. There are no wrong answers. Our new motto. <laughs> Um, this is a weird one. Apparently, Brian Cox, uh, in that final phone call, he wanted to sing a song that was at number one at the time. I know this because I read it. Go on. Well, did you, where did you read it? Headgates. <laughs> <laughs> I love that book, by the way. <laughs> if I find out you've actually read it, I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, it's, I just called to say I love you. Yeah. yeah. And Michael Mann agreed with him and they tried to get the rights to it so he could sing that down the phone to Will Graham. That's a brilliant idea. Really? No. I feel like that would have taken me right out of the film. Yeah. No, it would have been done with a plum. <laughs> <laughs> so in the supermarket, when him and his son have a real heart to heart. I think that's a great scene. That's Ooh, what he, no. he, talk, he talks about what Hannibal Lecter. No, worst what? scene. Oh. Worst Scene. But, but in the scene, it's when he t- he's telling <laughs> any more than that, or it's just the worst scene. <laughs> you say what you want to say. I was just saying it's where we get this true insight into Lecter, where we find out how much and how badly Who he's affected it? him. Who gives one? Sure, don't tell. First of all, mm-hmm. second of all, there's some continuity issues, but that's nitpicking. Just to just to elaborate on that point further, and um, would you like to know some of the cereals that are behind them in that scene? Definitely. There was uh, Tricks, Brand Muffin Crisp, Special K, Lucky Charms, Cheerios, and my favourite, Count Chocula. So would they have had to get permission to use those cereals in the background? And if so, what cereal company is going to give permission to be used in Manhunter? What a fascinating question. <laughs> well, there's a whole chapter on that in Headgate. <laughs> do, you know, uh, do you know who played Will Graham's son? Oh, he looks so familiar. But no, <laughs> yes. tell me, tell yeah. me. Yes, yeah. I was going to bring this up because I'm like, oh, here's something for Chris and his football. Uh, he's what? played by David Seaman. <laughs> David Seaman, who was playing in goal for Birmingham and QPR that same year. So I think that's remarkable. What's going on? Right. David Seaman <laughs> plays his son. Yeah. There's a famous... But not the goalkeeper. I'm winning, eh? I don't know. He looks different, but they can do stuff with makeup. I <laughs> before he had the moustache. Get head games out. Check the index. Yeah, will. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Um, Inagada Davida. Inagada Davida. Do you know, uh, Boney M covered it in 1980. Okay. Uh, do you know what's unusual about that cover that they no. did? Uh, none of the original members of Boney M sung on it <laughs> due to oh, infighting. Hell, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no wrong answers this week. <laughs> There's no bad trivia, there's just trivia. Hey, that plane scene that I was talking about, did did someone want to do the trivia about how the fact that they couldn't get... I don't, because I don't believe it. Do you not believe it? No, I don't. I just think he sounds like one of those fables. I don't believe it's true. So the story is that they couldn't afford to hire a plane or build a plane fuselage, so they got on a flight from (laughs) Florida to Chicago or something, and... They took all the camera equipment with them and that was a regular passenger plane the, and yeah. they just started filming on it. And like guerrilla style. Yeah. The reason I didn't believe it is because when I saw the sunset through the window, I was like, that looks so fake. <laughs> well, according, according to the book I read, Head Games, um, <laughs> the pilot and stewardesses got super annoyed with them and they had to sort of placate them by giving them crew jackets. Crew jackets. Well, you might have seen the director's cut. You can tell because all the scenes are really bad quality that have been put back in. Oh, yeah. Yes, I saw the director's cut then when sometimes the audio drops. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. It's really noticeable. The scene at the end where uh, Will Graham, after it's all sort of calmed down, he's got cuts on his face, but they've healed up. So it's obviously a few weeks later and he goes to a house of a family. The family. The family who were going to be um, killed by Francis Dollarhide, but that wasn't in the original film. And I think that's a quite a powerful scene. Was that a scene in your version? It was not. Oh. Interesting. Oh. 
So oh. I think the version you saw, you can't even get now. You didn't you get it on eBay? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's in that's in circulation now, that one. It's only Ooh. the director's cut is available now. I will sell it to you for five pounds. <laughs> Did your version have the creepy scene where the woman has mirrored eyes? Yeah. That's creepy. I but, see myself reflected in the mirrors of your eyes. Mm. But also a Did, little bit like Total Eclipse of the Heart video with Bonnie Dial Kyler. But that's a bit scary. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it also reminded me of the Previous Michael Mann film, The Keep, where the monster in that has kind of shimmering eyes, I think, at some point. Have you seen The Keep? No. Oh, my God, it's so good. I'll watch it. It's good. fun. It is. It's yeah. a really weird, weird movie, but it's good. His 80s output is 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 different to his what he's done in recent years. Um, so is this good Michael Mann or bad Michael Mann? I think this film is brilliant. Mm. Like, I was so surprised. When I watched it, I've only seen it once before, and I was just like, oh, I don't, you know, whatever. Just it, it just washed over me. Did not register at all. And then watching it in the week, I thought it was really just so good and a, a, like a true rival to Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I was so I was so surprised. I had exactly the same experience. I put it on, going, I've tried this before, and mm. it didn't go well, Manhunter. So this is on you. Yeah. And about sixty minutes in, I just paused it, and I realised that my head hurt because I'd been frowning watching it <laughs> so intensely. Wow. Is it your favourite Michael Mann? What's your favourite Michael Mann movie? Probably this or the keep. Wow. Yeah. I know. Um, Vicky, what's your favourite Michael Mann movie? Oh, it's this. I like Collateral. I do really like Collateral. Collateral. Yeah. Good choice. Thanks. What's yours, Chris? You're both wrong. Uh, it's <laughs> it's uh, uh, Last of the Mohicans. Oh, it's oh, a yeah. great film. I love that. I love that. And everyone always says his films are a bit too cold, whereas I think that's the opposite. That's a really warm, romantic, beautiful movie. Yeah. Right, shall we shall we get through to our categories? So, Chris, what would you say your best scene is? Um, uh, Freddie Lowndes' burning body uh, coming, tearing through the car park. Um, yeah, I just think that's a really unexpected, dramatic, shocking moment. Mm. And helped by the fact the security guard just before then goes, <laughs> he sells the shit out of <laughs> yeah, it. It really does. <laughs> but it's such a horrific image. Mm. What about you? Um, my best scene is when he first walks into the crime scene and starts reading through the notes. See, that's the, my best scene is that scene, but you know what it's done at the end of the film. So he's walking back through the house and he's talking in, I think he's talking in the first person. No, he is talking in the first person. Um, most valuable character, Alex. Tom Noonan as Francis Dollarhide. I think his relationship with Reba, the most touching relationship in the whole film, is between the serial killer and his young female acquaintance that he makes <laughs> his friend <laughs> yeah um and i also like the fact that he walked into the audition for the role and he was like is it all right with you if i don't do any small talk and just read the lines cool. <laughs> at that point michael Mann was like i think you're we may hired have <laughs> <laughs> what about you well this week i feel like it's unfair in this category to say hannibal lecter and either of them so i'm going to go with alex I think, yeah, Francis Dollarhide uh, for the reasons Alex said. To be My honest. favourite character is um, the beach house. Love that place. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing it on purpose now. Um, yeah, I knew I, that you, would piss you. You can't off. hear me, but I'm making a face. <laughs> um, one change, Alex, that you would make to this film. Um, I would not have my lead actor who I've been on this journey with in such short shorts at the end. I knew that would upset you. I really did. And also because they're pastel coloured. Pastel coloured short shorts and very smooth legs. Yeah, I thought that would upset you. I paused my DVD because I was hoping that the chapter title would be short shorts and smooth legs. <laughs> it's not. 
Next what? summer, I'm totally wearing short pastel shorts to one of these records. <laughs> What's that next year? <laughs> what about you? Um, I kind of said them earlier, actually. Uh, I either give Hannibal a scene at the end of the film. I feel like it's just left hanging his, his storyline or have included that attack on Will Graham's house which he kind yeah. of set up because that would have been a bit of yeah. the end of his story as well. Yeah, I've said my change as well. Just more more visual impact on him, you know, that's, if he's meant to be this person that can delve into the mind of the most awful minds in the world, like how does that affect him? Nice. Yeah. All right then. So that is Manhunter, a surprising but very enjoyable movie. By the way, we didn't talk about, ask what the connection between the two films was at the start of this show. Do you know what the connection is? It's <laughs> Bulldog Briscoe. Oh, yeah, I know this. Again, I'm having such a good week. Right. Let me say, let she me loves say. It. She loves this section, Alex. Let me say. Fuck, I've lost my notes. Shush, don't say a word. What's don't. he called? He's called Dan something. Dan Butler. Right, yeah. Yes, Dan Butler is in both films. He is in Manhunter as a police person. Uh, he is a fingerprint analyst. Whatever. Uh-huh. And he's in Silence of the Lambs as a bug geek, which we'll get to because that's en- a strange... Entomologist. Bug. Yeah, bug, uh, bug geek. Can you name me the other actor? No, but <laughs> you don't know who Bulldog Briscoe is. Do you know who Bulldog Briscoe is? Oh, you is? do, don't you? It's, um, I'm sorry, I'm shaking my head. I should have bu- said no. It's Bulldog from Frasier. I don't watch Frasier. Oh, for okay. God, everyone watches bloody Frasier. It's okay, doesn't matter. What's it about? <laughs> it's about a bulldog called Briscoe. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, can you name the other actor that appears in both films? Frankie Faison. Oh, yeah, that's the right answer. He's in all of them. Oh, yeah. But he's so he's in both. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's in all the Hannibal Lecter films. Okay. okay. Barney. Barney. But he's the not, one person yeah. that Hannibal, apart from Clarice, the one person that Hannibal Lecter likes. And who was he in Fraser? <laughs> Um, he was in The Wire. He was Bunk in The Wire, I okay. think. Okay, okay, great. Um, Colleen Atwood, she did the costumes for both Manhunter no. and Science of the Lambs. Nice. nice. Do, anyway, you know, do you know who's in Just... <laughs> Just Frasier. <laughs> Manhunter. <laughs> Would that no. be George Romero? No, is he in... He's in it. Oh. oh, sorry, Science of the Lambs, bugger. No, I went that's early. not George Romero, it's Roger Corman. Yeah. No, George Romero is at the end, plays a cop who walks by uh, when uh, he's in the big cell. Oh! Yeah. Once again, can I just say, how we've gotten to this long, meandering, quite boring section is talking about the connection. So I think when it's really obvious, maybe we don't need to say it. Or you need to bring your A game to this part. All right, all right I got one. I got you one for fucked you. up Bulldog Briscoe, not me. <laughs> I, I would have done that in one sentence. There's a, a... You went off for ages. It's important. You're the welcome. connection is films with Hannibal Lecter in. Are you happy now? Chris? Yep. <laughs> Shall we talk about the other one? Yeah, Yay! let's do Silence of the Lambs. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. This week, I was given Silence of the Lambs, which, despite its name, is not a documentary about soundproofing your farm. Of course you knew that. It's the movie in which Anthony Hopkins chews his way through people and scenery after he takes a shine to Jodie Foster's FBI agent. In fact, so much of a shine that when someone upsets her, he makes them swallow their own tongue, immediately redefining the term overprotective. <laughs> you spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. So, Signs of the Lambs. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird watching it again. I will say because I haven't seen it for a long time. And when I first watched it, it was before it had been parodied the crap out of by everyone. Oh, yeah. And to now watch Anthony Hopkins' performance... It's a different experience to when you saw it before it became the thing that everyone did. Is it the most parodied film of the last 30 years? I feel like it might be. It's it's so sort of bled into the public consciousness that it's weird watching it now. It is. It is. Especially his performance. More than anything else, it's about it's about him. Which is a shame because it is a fantastic performance. So it came out in America on Valentine's Day, yeah. 1991. Good, good date movie? I think so. Definitely. <laughs> Depends who you're with. Mm. I tell you what, it would make you, it would sort of telegraph that you were quite woke to the male gaze and that goes a long way, mm. let me tell you. Yeah, I, and then you could sort of do funny jokes when yeah. you got back to your apartment afterwards. Like, and, do you want some wine? Yeah, yeah, do you want some wine? <laughs> it rubs the lotion on its skin. <laughs> I love that I thought bit. he wasn't going to do impressions <laughs> no, and bangs. I'm not do it as much as you yeah, want. You've got to go an octave deeper than you for Buffalo Bill. It rubs the lotion <laughs> on its skin. Oh, that's good. That's, now, we're, now we're cooking at it. <laughs> It rubs the lotion on its skin. <laughs> and it do does the next that hour. every time it's told. <laughs> I, t- I, t- I took a girl on a first date to see Zodiac and about halfway through I, w- I was like, oh, I wish, all, I wish I hadn't done this. Too long. Mm. So any interest yeah. will have died by that. Just sit in silence for three hours. <laughs> yeah. And you with your short shorts on. <laughs> so interesting. Chilton, Dr. Chilton, his character in Manhunter... Quite useful, 
quite helpful to the police. In this, massive sleazeball. Mm. I love him in this. Mm. He's yeah, he's good. Hideous. The bit at the start where he goes, so are you uh, staying in town overnight? Yeah. And she goes, no, I've got to go. And he's like, right, that's that then. And loses interest immediately. <laughs> yeah. Chilton has to be annoying and creepy enough that at the end of the film, you actually want him to be murdered. <laughs> yeah. And they do, they pull that off, which yeah. is impressive, I think. I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> I did well, it. We're really jumping ahead here, aren't we? <laughs> well, that's Silence of the Lambs then. <laughs> um, so I have a really basic problem with this. Now, I love the production design on Hannibal Lecter's cell. Mm-hmm. To me, the cell that he's in in Manhunter is the kind of cell that you should put... Yeah. Such an intelligent serial killer yeah. in a white room where nothing yeah. is hidden. Yeah. This is like a dungeon. It with... a dun- but it is literally a dungeon. I mean, there's been a lot said about it's a Rococo nightmare. It's a She descends from a, a correctional facility when Clarice first gets to meet Dr. Chilton and they go down into the bowels of something and then they are in a dungeon and he's caged, whereas... Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter, it's a clinical environment, mm. which makes a lot more sense and is much more realistic. Mm. But it's a stylistic choice. Um, it's the Hammer Horror version yeah. for me. It's the gothic Hammer Horror, which is fun. Yeah, it is. But you could dislodge... I mean, his Hannibal Lecter, he could dislodge one of those bricks, shave it off into yep. a point. He's got a weapon in seconds. Look, from experience of being in correctional facilities, sure. like that is a total like no-no. You don't give a man like that bricks. <laughs> Talk, what are you talking about? I 100% agree. What's he shaving the bricks down with? His uh, The laser focus of his intelligence. <laughs> I think. He just looks at them. No, oh, did you not? Did you not? Oh, you might have seen a different version. He's got laser eyes yeah, in the version I saw. In the I director's saw. cut that I saw with my free book, um, Telekinesis by Hannibal Lecter, that's what, what he did. Yeah, yeah, he just... <laughs> with his eyes. Like Fingy from X-Men, you know. Cyclops, yeah. Did you not see the laser eyes version? Oh, oh never mind. I will sell it to you for five pounds. <laughs> so we have jumped hey. straight to Hannibal Lecter's cell. <laughs> yeah. have we? Well, it's a really early scene. And also, I love it because as a cold sore sufferer, it's nice to see Jodie Foster suffering from a cold sore in that scene. Has she got a cold sore? She's got a cold sore on her lip, yeah. Has she? Yeah. Oh, that uh, does make me love her more. Right. So Because I think, I think some other actors would might maybe go, I, can't, I cannot go on yeah. camera today. But she was like, She's no, like I'm going to win an Oscar. Give me some Zavirex and I'm out. I'll see you there. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. Uh, do you want to know, in the books, which Chris will attest to, mm-hmm. uh, Hannibal Lecter is described as a sociopath. But Dr. Chilton describes him as a psychopath. Would you like to know the difference between the two? The spelling. There's the spelling, <laughs> right. correct. Um, so do you want to know? You probably already know. I th- I feel like there's there's still questions over what the difference between the two are. Sure, it's an yeah. evolving field. Exactly, for sure, yeah, for sure. yeah. But if you want to go on record right now... <laughs> what does it say in head games? <laughs> it says... I'll read it word for word. No. So, psychopathy is just a, it can be thought of as a more severe form of sociopathy. So, therefore, all psychopaths are sociopaths, but not all sociopaths are necessarily psychopaths. So, traits of a sociopath who can then sort of become a psychopath would be lack of guilt, lack of empathy, uh, narcissism, lack of fear, an excellent ability to lie, etc. You must have read the psychopath test. I have, yeah, I did. I did enjoy that. Although I suppose 
the the main takeaway that I took and that everyone I knew took from it was like my boss is a psychopath. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all yeah, was. all politicians are psychopaths. Yeah. Anyone in the public eye is yeah. a psychopath. All yeah. men in a position of power, all bosses are psychopaths. Anyone yeah. on Wall Street? Yeah. Did you find this scary and at any point? Because some people talk of this as a horror movie. I don't really buy that. I don't <laughs> think this is a horror movie. I know they do it because then they can go, well, it's a horror movie that won Best Picture, but it didn't. Well, I first. I watched... mean, it did, but it's not a horror movie. <laughs> Watching it this time made me feel like I wish I could watch it for the first time again. Mm. Oh, you know, I was 13 year olds when I first watched it. I'm sure that most, a lot of this stuff scared me. I'm sure I was surprised by lots of it, but I see it all coming so, so early now that it doesn't really. A lot of the scenes that people sort of talk about as being like horror scenes, I just didn't find scary. Like the bit where Jodie Foster goes into that. Storage. Oh, the storage unit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the best episode of Storage Wars ever. <laughs> yeah, like a, a hoarder's wet dream. And then she finds the head in the jar. Yeah. And that sort of reveal is played like as a jump scare, I think. But I'm, I was like, I was like, Meh. head in a jar. It felt a bit like the jump scare head from Jaws trying to recreate that. Because also, I guess you've got to go back to the the fact that this was the first of its kind. I mean, Manhunter came before, but this was the first huge mainstream Hollywood film about a serial killer, Mm. like a blockbuster about a serial killer. We've had so many since then. I think at the time it was different to what it is now, where it's been copycatted so much, even by a film called Copycat, Mm. that it's... Oh, that's a Gorney Weaver movie. That I've seen. That's great. I'll tell you something. Last time I saw this was about five years ago, and Jameson, uh, the whiskey, put on a screening of it. Mm -hmm. And so I went along and ended up drinking a lot of Jameson in the bar and ending up with the worst seat in the house uh, on the, to the side. It wasn't in a proper cinema, to the side of the screen where half of me could see the audience and half of me could see the film. And it was a lot of young people who'd never seen the film before. This was their first time. And half the time I kept looking at the audience rather than the screen because I knew what scenes were coming. People were properly screaming. Like it had this incredible effect on an audience. And I think we forget that because we've seen it a lot. Was it not just because they were so pissed on Jameson, though? (laughs) The scene that really does scare me still, and it's I guess it's kind of a weird scene to pick as one of the scariest, it's when he needs help with the sofa into (gasps) the armchair, into the van, and he sort of tricks her to back in first. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't really trick her. He goes, you back in first. And she goes, "Eh, all right, it won't end well. Um, But that scene... Yeah, because there's so much in that scene, because she knows every woman, every person knows and like that's how Ted Bundy got a lot of people is will you help me and there are so many power structures in play in that one moment like you don't want to be a bitch Mm. you don't want to say no you don't want to be rude and then when he manoeuvres her so that she knows she's going to end up in the back of the van she doesn't want to break social convention and be like actually I'm terrified I'm going to run away so she just basically gets in Yeah. and then when he finds the label and finds out she's a size 14. He's like, yeah. good. Ugh. Yeah. Because he's not saying good about the fact that it's made in Indonesia or 60% polyester. <laughs> Which is cheap. Yeah. But it's also the way Demi builds and builds and builds scenes. Like, certainly Lecter's escape and also when you realise Clarice is at Buffalo Bill's house. The way the, the tension ratchets up through them, that was you could feel that in the audience when I was watching Because yeah. that's the first time I'd seen it with an audience as well because I was too young to see it in the cinema at the time. And, and you're on the edge of your seat for so long during Hannibal Lecter's escape waiting for him to do what he's going to do and then when he does it it's horrific mm. you mean when he attacks the officers yes yeah that's that's I. but it's yeah. drawn out as well so you're just sort of again though again this is like little baby things that really annoy me it's like this is 
by all accounts, one of the most dangerous men on the planet. Yeah. And you put him in an art gallery in a birdcage. Yeah. It doesn't and really... Also, did you see the little traffic fence that it's got? Like, yes. like, outside, like, he's going to go, oh, no, well, I can't, then, obviously. <laughs> Wait, I can't escape. You damn the little fence! <laughs> I nearly got out! <laughs> You've built a huge birdcage for him, but you haven't put a camera in there yeah. to watch him. Yep. Or given the police officers a gun. Or oh. put any more than two police yeah. officers who yeah. don't look in the best shape either to watch him. Yeah. Right. Um, can we can we go back to the beginning though? Chris, the beginning. So in another dimension, this film would have been directed by Gene Hackman and starred Sean Connery and Michelle Pfeiffer with Hackman playing Crawford. <laughs> Hello, Clarice. <laughs> So there was. <laughs> are the lambs still screaming? Clarice, are the lambs still screaming? That's so shit, but so funny. <laughs> That's, That's very so good. Absolutely I brilliant. ate his liver with a nice candy. <laughs> did, you, did you read the article Deadline did on the 25th anniversary of the film? Because there were so many good um, bits of information there. Uh, Jonathan Demi said, We sent the script to Sean Connery first. Word came back shortly that he thought it was disgusting and wouldn't dream of playing that part. <laughs> Don't mince your words, Sean. <laughs> yeah, but wasn't it the case with Michelle Pfeiffer? Demi wanted Michelle Pfeiffer to play Clarice Starlin. She read the script and went, Hur! then he wanted Meg Ryan to do it. She read the script and went, Hur! and then eventually, after he couldn't get Laura Dern because the studio wouldn't allow her to play it because she wasn't bankable enough, he settled on Jodie Foster. Who, who was f- fighting for it. Yes. She tried to buy the book herself, but the rights had already been bought by Gene Hackman. And it was Gene Hackman's daughter who read the book and said, Dad, don't make this. And Jonathan Demi <laughs> said, uh, God bless Gene Hackman's daughter. <laughs> but yeah, and I was just wanted to talk about the, the opening of the film mm. and the, the feminist um, stuff going on here. Yeah, so first of all... Which I feel I should talk about. <laughs> speak from the heart and, and from your experience of what it's like to navigate the male gaze in your everyday life. Anyway, um, yeah, we meet Clarice and this is a, it's quite anti-feminist, but I was like, oh, notice she was running in makeup and earrings. <laughs> 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 Which is a weird choice. Um, and she, <laughs> See, I didn't notice that because I'm not a sexist pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of framing of Clarice, especially at the FBI Academy, where she's surrounded by men and she's the only woman and she seems quite small, like li- like physically small in comparison to them to show that she's quite uh, alone in her work. Mm. And Catherine Martin doesn't die, which is very unusual. Um she survives. She well, be- she's the la- she's the lamb that Clarice can finally yeah. save. And, I don't and- know that it's a good move if you're a serial killer, though, to kidnap a senator's daughter. It's a mistake. <laughs> I mean, they have more resources than yeah. most people, so yeah. I thought that was a bad move. He's just looking for someone who's a size 14. I feel like that's all the research he's doing, isn't it? <laughs> and even then, he's not. Che- he's waiting until she's in there to check if it's size 14. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you don't need that moment. You can look at her and surely you can... And also, I thought... He's meant I don't know. To be... I don't judge like that. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> shit, Jesus. shit, shit. <laughs> How are you losing this? <laughs> I'm shocked. Fucking hell. I, I like the bit where Clarice um, understands that as a girl you would probably hide some naughty photographs in the secret compartment oh, yeah. of your music box. <laughs> yeah. What I don't like is that she then leaves those photographs on top of it yeah. for the father of a dead girl yeah. to find and go, uh, what? She also runs downstairs, uses his phone and says at the top of her voice, he's making a costume out of women. <laughs> Have some sensitivity. Sorry, sorry what's that? He's, he's, who's, he's doing what? <laughs> With the, my child. The police didn't say anything about a costume out of skin. <laughs> Oh, nothing. No, something else. Different case. Different case. <laughs> it's very insensitive. 
The scariest scene is when Buffalo Bill is doing, when he's getting dressed to that song and he's putting his makeup on. Mm. And then the famous, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm not going to say it. He chucks away his meat and two veg. (laughs) How's that? That was very manly. Yeah. Yeah, Have you ever tried that? Of course. Who, who, what man hasn't at some point? Have you? Are you about to show me a phone? Chris, why have you got your phone? I'm trying to find the name of something out, not my penis. Um, <laughs> Does it have a name? <laughs> He's a much less sympathetic killer than Dollar Hyde. No, I don't think that's true. Really? I think 100% it is. But he does feel, when Catherine Martin is pleading with him and he's saying it rubs the lotion on its skin. It rubs the lotion on. (laughs) It gets the holes. (laughs) Um, It's having an effect on him. He looks, he feels bad. He nearly starts to cry Mm. because she is in such distress. But at the same time... He starts mocking her when she's crying. That's the defence mechanism. No, I don't don't think it's a defence mechanism. I think it's him trying to mimic her because he, (gasps) for when he's got the woman's suit on... It's him practising. Yeah. I, I guess, so this was quite a controversial film at the time within the LGBTQ yeah. community. I, uh, the feeling was, oh, great, um, you're connecting someone uh, who's transsexual with being a serial killer. Oh, great, why are the only gay characters in movies murderers? Yeah. And it, and it came, you know, a couple of years later, you had Basic Instinct where there were similar complaints. Now, watching and reading around this film now... It's, they seemed very confused at the time with the, the message they were trying to get across with yeah. Buffalo Bill to the point that Demi's saying one thing, the screenwriter Ted Talley saying something else and the actor Ted Levine is saying something completely mm. different. So I think they weren't on the same page and that's why it's, it's just slightly messy yeah. what, the, what, the, what his problem is. And what so the... what did Demi say when he was approached with this controversy? He said that the character isn't gay, he just hates himself so much, that's why he wants to transform into a woman because it will be the complete opposite to who he is right now. And Lecter says Billy isn't, is not a real transsexual, he thinks he is. So he was turned down, wasn't he? They say he was turned down for gender reassignment because mm. of his you know, his mental state. Mm. And so, yeah, they're saying it's more about him hating his own identity, as you say. But um, I don't know, like uh, Ted Levine says that he, he's not gay because if he was gay, he'd be killing men and boys. And I don't know if that holds water. Like, mm. that doesn't mean that. I mean, the facts are a trans person is much more likely to be the victim of a crime than the perpetrator of a crime. Which, and I think, doesn't Clary Starling say something about... Uh, not that exact quote, but she said they're less likely to be violent. She's, it's a bit, I don't think you'd include it, it's a bit mm. ropey now, but she says uh, transsexuals are very passive people. Yeah, yeah. Um, which but but it's them making an effort almost, as yeah. you say, it's the 1991 version, maybe, yeah. of, trying, of trying to course correct it. So have you ever actually stuck your penis between <laughs> your thighs? You never answered that question. You asked me it and I, I answered think very I have. <laughs> well, I've seen a couple of friends do it. <laughs> Hell of a night. Eh? At uni. At uni. I won't name them. Do you feel like you... Imp- I mean, how did you take what was already a weird question and somehow make it weirder? <laughs> That's a good point. I don't know. I just think it's noticeable that the next film Demi made was Philadelphia. Yeah. So it felt like he... I think he did feel a bit of guilt that maybe they got that aspect of it wrong. And he certainly said he'd wish they'd talked more about uh, Buffalo Bill's childhood, which is much more in the book. I yeah. genuinely... What I would change is you need more of... Buffalo Bill in this. Yeah. I think there's a startling, especially rewatching it, a startling lack of time spent with this guy. Well, it's I guess it's a narrative decision they make to suddenly the film becomes a Hannibal Lecter film for 20 minutes, two thirds of the way through. Yep. And it's maybe the best sequence in the movie. But you forget about Clarice and 
Buffalo Bill. So it's strange. It's it's weird. But it's still such a cool escape. No, agreed. And the bit where he sits up in the ambulance with a face on his own <laughs> face, I'm like, oh, double face. <laughs> Again, though, because I, I think it's so much more effective when you don't know what's coming. And I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for it now. But seeing with an audience that didn't know or, or was putting the pieces together at the same time it was happening on screen yeah. is really exciting. So I watched it with someone who hadn't seen it before yeah. and I was like, go away, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, go away. You did Double face! <laughs> <laughs> Danny, it's, but you were doing what I was doing then probably. You're sort of looking at them a little bit as well as, well as looking at the film. Yeah. But I probably didn't do it as creepily as you did. People are in a cinema in the dark and you're just staring <laughs> in between. And you can always feel it when someone's staring at you as well, can't you? And then there's just this little white face in the dark. <laughs> the pissed Jameson's drunk <laughs> yeah. guy in the corner looking. Sloshing whiskey. Maybe everywhere. that's why they were screaming so much. Maybe, Maybe that's were... why they put you on the end seat. <laughs> they that was saw a, you. That was amazing. They had this actor who really, <laughs> it was like an immersive experience. He sat in the corner and creeped the fuck out of everyone. <laughs> Um, it would have been even weird. Like he, I think he was like real method. He was definitely drinking for real. <laughs> I was reading Ted Talley, the screenwriter. Writers are the best people to ever interview because they're the honest ones. Like they don't mince their words. And he was saying how he really wanted to do Hannibal. And they read the book, him and uh, Jonathan Demme. And they both went, well, this is awful. We can't do it. We can't make this. And he says it's such a shame because it would have been a Spielberg level payday for them both. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I couldn't quite work out. He, he didn't sort of elaborate on why he hated that book so much, but I'm guessing it's because it takes, you know, this hideous monster and turns him into the hero. Like a bit of a sexy man. Mm, yeah. Sort of sympathetic character. And it like you, might... you want Hannibal to beat Gary Oldman at the end. Yeah, and you want um, him to get together with Clarice. Clarice. Yeah, that's, it's, weird. It's, that's completely off. Um, I'm sure you know about John Douglas. No. Jack Crawford is based on John Douglas, who was who runs the FBI's Behavioural Science Unit. Oh, I do know this. I thought you did. <laughs> yeah, I knew she would. Yeah. yeah. Tell Bloody the hell. Tell the story. Tell the story. Um, and so he helped out with the making of the film. Obviously, the FBI liked the idea of making this movie because they wanted to recruit more women and they thought this would be a good tool. And um, so him and Scott Glenn... That's became... weird. Do you like getting sperm in your hair? <laughs> Work for us. <laughs> so uh, John Douglas and Scott Glenn became really good friends while they were making it. Okay. And John Douglas... Douglas wrote the book Mindhunter. Oh, okay. And so that's what Mindhunter is entirely based on his career. Yeah. The reason I know that it's about the FBI Behavioural Science Unit is because it's, it's a relatively new thing. Mm. So they didn't have it. And there's a part, uh, it's these two things coalesce. So when um, Hannibal Lecter has, is given the case notes and then Clarice gets them back and her and her friend notice that he's written a message on the map. Did you see how uh, pronounced the state lines were on the map? Like they're marked out in red and there's quite a lot of bleed between the states. And I wondered if that was because in the US they did have a real problem up until the behavioural science unit and the sort of talking between uh, states with serial killers just moving over state lines. Mm. So And it's so easy to do. Yeah. But the minute you move over, you're dealing with a different police department and they, they weren't talking to each other. So it, that's why it was really difficult to catch Ted Bundy because he just moved south and everyone was like, well, there's no problem. That's exactly what... Uh, and the Golden State Killer was the same. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what Mindhunter's about, though, is yeah. how, as, how they hard it was to convince people that it was actually worth doing, yeah. doing behavioural science. Yeah. And the Golden State Killer was a police officer. What the what fuck? fuck? He was a police officer who at one time was going round communities giving them advice <gasps> yes! on how to stay oh protected from the Golden State Killer. He held a conference and everyone's because he was breaking into people's houses and his MO at the time would be to rape the woman in front of the man and then kill them both. Brilliant. Mm. So he stood up 
And a man in the audience couldn't just couldn't deal with this and was like, there's no way that would happen in my house. Like I would step up, I would protect my family. And everyone's listening, it's like, well, you know, da da da. And he was next. Yeah. No. Yes, yeah, yeah. Swear to God. Oh my god. And that's how they knew that the killer was in that room. So they spent years looking over every single person that was in that meeting. Um and, then and this was like so, 40 years ago and he's only just been caught. Yeah. So the killer, do you think he'd already picked that guy or did he get pissed off at no, the guy that day? Yeah, yeah, it was, ego, it was an ego thing. Yeah. Wow. Awful, isn't it? Yes. I, and um, Yes. I, cool. Yeah, sorry. I had a fact about Buffalo Bill, but I've just read it and it's actually quite boring. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> well, let's, I'm glad we're self-editing. Oh, I'll tell you what, it'll come up later in the quiz. Oh, oh great. Oh, hello. Well, let's crack on then. The only thing that annoys me is uh, Dr. Chilton. Yeah. Uh, at the end, mm-hmm. looks like he's going on holiday somewhere. He's like I out, think, out he, about. Yeah, but hasn't he gone as like no. sort of far away as he can? Isn't he like setting up an orphanage or something? No, he's going into hiding. The people that meet him, and you can hear a brief bit of dialogue. Oh, he he, it's about his security. security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's on the run. Fine, because he looks fucking terrified. Because my issue was basically like, if I was Doctor Chilton and I knew Hannibal Lecter was free. I'd be in a fucking bunker with all the guns <laughs> ever. And he's just sort of wandering around. But if he was actually going into hiding, that makes more sense. Yeah. So, but in terms of that ending, um, there was a, that Deadline article talks about the other ending that was in Tally's script. And uh, this is a phone call between Clarice and Hannibal, but you're not quite sure where he is. And it turns out he's in an office with uh, cutting segments of orange with a knife. And then the camera, once he's hung up, the camera panned back and Chilton is, is tied to a chair. And he walks over to him and says, with the knife, says, shall we begin? Oh. But Demi thought that was, in his words, too icky. And it would be more cinematic to have um, Hannibal yeah. out and about in the world. Yeah, true. Yeah. And although Thomas Harris said he will never watch any of the Hannibal Lecter films, and that's because John le Carre said that when he saw Alec Guinness in one of his adaptations, he then couldn't stop thinking about Alec Guinness rather than what the character he'd come mm. up with. Jonathan Demi did approach him and say, look, can we change this ending? And he said, yes. He said, it would be more believable that Lecter would be in Zurich looking at watches than be in the tropics. Mm. That's my, my Lecter, but you can do that. But my one uh, note to you is, have it be a hot day and everyone's sweating, but Hannibal Lecter does not sweat. <laughs> cool. And so that's what they did. Cool. I mean, I did feel hot watching him because everyone else is in like safari suits and he's like in a trilby. I'm like, and, and you are going to be hot under that. Yeah, and, and he has, we didn't really talk about Hopkins himself. It's quite funny when I've, I was reading places, him that talking about all the research he did and then watching interviews with him and he says in the, uh, that's all bollocks. He said, I didn't do any research. I just showed up and read the line. <laughs> like I got who the guy was. Yeah, I just learned the lines and showed up. And um, what a transformation for his career, though, because he really was a jobbing actor mm. who'd, he, I think, that Bridge Too Far, ma- Magic, and really the biggest film he'd done was Elephant Free Man. Jack. Oh. Well, he went, he went from this <laughs> on to Free <laughs> Jack. Yeah, um, all right, cool. Shall we move on to uh, the bit? Chris, what's your best scene? <laughs> uh, I think it is that ending when he says, I've no plans on calling you, the world's more interesting with you in it, and then having an old friend for dinner. I think it's such a brilliant way to end the film. And... I think it's partly what made Hannibal Lecter because we walk out of that film quite liking him again. And I think that's why we ended up with these other films. Yeah. 
Um, Montbachine is the first meeting of Clarice and mm. Lecter. Then he's just sort of standing there motionless in his cell. And you're like, yeah. oh, he's been standing there for maybe hours or has he <laughs> just got up and we happened to catch him when he was standing there? Um, my best scene is the when she's talking about the lamb, basically. Like, she just it's just so believable. Like, when she's talking about the lamb was so heavy. It's mm. like, oh, my God. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> um, your most valuable character, Chris. Uh, well... I'm not going to say Lecter. Why are you not saying Lecter? It's too obvious. Um, It's got to be Miggs. Oh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Miggs is your MVC. Or or Precious. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Um, My uh, MVC, Vicky, is the moths. All (laughs) the moths. The death's head moths. They're so big. Mm -hmm. They're so... And there's a bit where they're on his face. Um, My most valuable character is Buffalo Bill. Because he's just, he's really hard to, to circle in on how you feel about him. He's really difficult to shake off. I did feel sorry for him, but obviously he's a monster. Um, and it's just done very well. And one change you would make, Alex. More of Buffalo Bill, please. Mm. I thought Ted Levine's performance was great. I thought the character was fascinating. I just wish I'd known more about him and we'd had more of him on screen. Yeah, same. I, I, wish, I wish they'd figured out exactly where he was coming from. So this film maybe cause less offence to people because I think that's a sad thing. My one change, have some of this, is maybe a few more layers of usefulness to Chilton so maybe he could teach Clarice something. Even though he's arrogant, even though he's an arsehole, just one thing that was useful in her approach to his patient. And you can have a tiny moment mm. which where the power is just slightly shifted. Yeah, because he gives her a sort of series of rules and quite graphically explains why she should follow them. At the start, he's like, uh, his pulse didn't go above 85 even yeah. when he bit off her tongue. Have a look at that photo. <laughs> Sick, isn't it? That's the guy you're meeting. Yeah. And then the second time she meets him, she's sitting on a coat right up against the glass like she's at a festival. Like she's at Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, did you oh, not yeah. remember the rules? She looks at he's, he's getting, He sent her a towel because her hair's wet. She's like, oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> Now, do you want a quiz? Yes. yes. Are you ready? I'll uh, be quick. Wait, is it a good quiz? Yes. They're never good. No. If they're good, it would be disappointing. Okay. Well, let's find out. According to William Seabrook, a reporter at the New York Times in 1931, which meat does human most closely taste like? Chicken. Is, is it chicken? Uh, it's veal. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. He, there was a patient, according to... Well, no, don't eat veal. No, I don't... Well, I've had it. But oh. I was in Italy, so I think that's fine. Yeah, it's like, it's like the state lines thing. you just got to yeah. keep moving from country to country. <laughs> <laughs> that way you can keep eating veal. As long as you don't stay in one country and eat more veal, it's fine. Oh, dear. Oh, very good. Um, what do you think is the average IQ of a serial killer? 130. You're saying 130. What are you saying? I'm going to say 95. Oh, the answer is 89. Um, yeah, the fallacy is that they're all geniuses because of films like this and yeah. they aren't all geniuses. However, and, and, but, there but, is... but no, it's not just that. It's because to get away with it for the length of time that some of them do to actually become a serial killer, yeah. surely that requires a certain level of intelligence. I don't think so. I think there's that, but there's also a lot of people don't care about murdered women. Whoa, I said it. There's, it's a combination of the two things. And especially if they're sex workers, you, you might get a few months in which to complete your dastardy plans. Right, right, right. Um, what did Buffalo Bill call his rifle? <laughs> oh, You'll um, never get this. Are you talking about the real Buffalo? The real, oh, yeah, sorry. I should explain. The real Buffalo Bill <laughs> was a Buffalo hunter. Never, ever go into a quiz making as a career because <laughs> it's just... Why would I have like, to? Really crucial information is missing from every question. <laughs> because I'm under pressure. Was it called Carl? Hornblower. No, that's a good answer. Hornblower's a sensible answer. No, it wasn't called Carl. Simon. No. Brian. It, 
Right, stop. It was called... Gunny, Mr Gun. (laughs) (laughs) No. Can it it be Gunny? (laughs) No, it's not Gunny. He called his rifle Lucretia Borgia after the um, ruthless Italian noble woman from like 14-something. So there you go. That's my quiz. I won. <laughs> Did you, have you been actually tallying a score? As we no. <laughs> I just got the closest to the IQ. Yeah. So that means I won. You don't think that was a good I got quiz. gunny. Okay. <laughs> All right then. So it's time for the verdict. No, it's not. Oh. Because oh. before we do I, the verdict. I've got a quiz as well. <laughs> no, we've got the other question we were going to ask. What? So. Oh, well, have, I, have I missed an email again? No. It's all right. You're going to be able to answer it. Um. Alex, is Anthony Hopkins your favourite Hannibal Lecter or do you prefer Cox? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Really? (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um, I prefer Cox. (laughs) Do you? No, but I wanted to say that. Okay. (laughs) You're going Anthony Hopkins? Yeah. Vicky, prefer Cox? This is... You know I do. Um, This is very hard. Brian Cox himself in Head Games said that... (laughs) Head Games. Chris, have you read Head Games? Spit it out. It's my, it's my favourite book. He said the difference between them is Brian Cox is insane, Anthony Hopkins is mad, and I prefer an insane portrayal. So I would say Cox. Nice. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I'm going Hopkins, so. Oh, yeah, and I did a poll. I did a poll on Twitter. Oh, okay. Did you? 201 people voted. I, I added in the other two uh, Hannibal lectors, uh, Gaspard Uliel, who did Hannibal Rising, and Mads Mikkelsen from the TV. Did Gaspar get any? Um, he got 1%. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bless him. Uh, Brian Cox got only 11%. Okay. Ooh. Uh, I bet Ma- um, Mass, isn't it? It's pronounced Mass Mickelson. Is it? Hmm. Uh, it's not actually Mads, because that would be a crazy name. Well, I'm just going to say uh, Mickelson got... <laughs> Mass, Mass Mickelson. <laughs> Mickelson got 36% and Anthony Hopkins got 52%. Oh, so oh, okay. this room agrees with Me. the majority. And you? Yeah. Right, it's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Um, okay. Yeah. Chris, which film featuring Hannibal Lecter do you think should win this week? Um, well, I, I like Manhunter, but I think Silence has so many moments that transcend film and also we didn't even talk about the fact it won the big five oscars is it only the third film in history to do that um do you know so- the other two yes i do yes <laughs> <laughs> go on one flew over the cuckoo's nest Correct. and that other old one that i've just forgotten the name of in the thingy it happened one night oh fuck that <laughs> yeah. that one it's an old film yeah 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 yeah, especially the stuff with Clarice and Hopkins. It's like two heavyweight boxers sparring. I love it. It's not just the best film this week. It's not just the best film we've covered. It's one of the best films of all time. Manhunter. No, Signs <laughs> of the Lambs. Um, I'm going to hear what you've said, and I'm going to partially agree with you. And I am going to prefix this with the fact that I've seen Silence of the Lambs previously, and I couldn't quite shake the fact that it felt like I've seen it so many times now because it has been mimicked so much and Manhunter was such a curveball for me and I didn't really expect to be that overpowered by the sense of dread and the atmosphere throughout it and even though I've slagged off some of the music choices they do give it quite an alien quality which makes it a far weirder and troubling watch for me than Silence of the Lambs, which I think is a much more mainstream and accessible film. 
So not just to be contrary, but based on the viewings this week, I'm saying Manhunter. See, that's the thing. I'm the hipster's choice. <laughs> <laughs> that was me in 1992 going around school saying, "Well, actually, Brian Cox is the best Hannibal Lecter." <laughs> You're all hey, wrong. I picked Hopkins for my Hannibal. I'm I just know. saying I like that. That movie Manhunter had a more pronounced effect on me. Cool. So this is difficult because I thought this would be a slam dunk for me for Silence of the Lambs, like obviously. And then I watched Manhunter and I thought it was incredible. And it was really, really torn. Like the violence is implied. I like that. The white cell, the clinical aspect of it versus a gory sort of shock fest. I really, really like. And so I'm I'm really stuck. Um, so then I'm down to Will Graham versus Clarice Starling. So then I'm down to a woman versus a man. And then it's something we call positive discrimination and so for that reason I have to pick Silence of the Lambs because of the way it deals with the male gaze how can I not so it has to be Silence of the Lambs but I'm very torn I think that's great I think if actually Manhunter had won this week we'd have a lot of questions to answer I think I don't know if I could do the podcast anymore after last week (laughs) fucking Dread and Manhunter (laughs) wankers It's the wankers. <laughs> um, all right, great stuff. Silence of the Lambs is this week's winner. Well, Clarice, have the lambs stopped screaming? So, on to next week. Whose choices is it? Mine. So, Chris, what have you got for us next week? So, as we're nearing the festive season, Vicky, I would like you to do 1984's Gremlins. Thank you very much. And Alex Zane, I am giving you a film in a completely different genre, and you are getting 1989's Gr- 1990s Gremlins 2. <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am actually happy with that choice very much. So, thank you, Chris. Thank you. Are you happy? You seem like... I'm just trying to make sure I got the right year because I never checked them. I'm sure it's 1990, isn't it? Let's go with that for the moment. Who cares? No one cares. (laughs) Don't know why I said the years. Um, So that is it for next week. If you want to do your homework, we are doing Gremlins versus Gremlins 2, the new batch. Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch on email, it's show at clashpod.com or on Twitter at clashpod. And please do uh, rate and review us and subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes a difference and we'd appreciate it greatly. Thanks very much. Back in a week. This was a Stakhanov production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code Program.